Hello and welcome to Don't Shoot the Deputies, a podcast run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Russell. Pleasure to be here. So for a while, we've really wanted to do a podcast linked to children's literature. And last week, we saw a post on Twitter which gave us the idea for this episode. The post was from Jazz Newton, a year four teacher based in Liverpool, who's really passionate about ensuring there is diverse representation in the literature we provide for our young people. Now, Jazz works for the Rainbow Education Trust in Liverpool, which comprises of six schools across the region. And she is joining us tonight alongside two other colleagues who are also very passionate about this issue, Doa Al-Saromi, also a year four teacher and Ashley Booth a year six teacher and key stage two lead within the trust welcome to all three of you hi hi I thought we'd jump straight into it if uh, we can and talk about representation and why it's so important um when we talk about representation we can mean a lot of things and uh, it's good if each of you could tell us in turn what representation means to you and why you think it's so important in the books we provide our pupils and um I think if we start with Jazz and then maybe go to Doa and then Ashley, that's all right? Um, well, for me, the main thing was that I never saw myself in books as a child. Um, grew, up, grew up in the 90s, I was a really big reader, loved books, particularly Harry Potter. And it was just not really a thing to see um, that many black um like characters but especially not representational role models either you know people that you might aspire to be so for me it's always kind of been a little bit of a a bit of a a nuisance thing because I love literature so much and then um just working in schools as well realizing the impact that literature has on children particularly things like picture books lower down just being able to see yourself somebody that's similar to you in a book can have a massive massive impact so I think it's really important for um, children's image of themselves to make sure that they are represented and um, again for aspirations because for example me I I never saw myself as being a teacher it didn't really come to me until a bit later on but it was just never something that I'd initially aspired to do because one I didn't have any black teachers and two it was just never something I'd that seed had never been planted in my mind I'd never thought about it so I think it's really important to have um, representational role models for that purpose and just to make sure that the generation now doesn't struggle to find them so it's something I sort of bang on about all the time Ashley Booth's sick of listening to me but um, (laughs) it's something that's gradually getting better we're working on it but you know it's not quite there yet we still need a bit more and I think especially now with everything that's going on with like Black Lives Matter and things I think one of the other really powerful things about representation in children's literature is that it normalises um, the view of ethnic minority people to children who aren't of minority backgrounds. So mm-hmm. I think it's really important to make sure that we do grow up in a, a really equal society and a place that's really accepting that children from very young ages see and accept people of all different minorities. So, mm. uh, Thanks, Jez. And Doa? I completely agree with uh, Jazz's points. Growing up, I loved reading. I didn't see myself. And then as I got older, I noticed that I started doing something is when I didn't understand a certain culture or I wasn't sure about a certain topic or certain anything that I was afraid to sort of ask questions about because I was afraid to offend anyone. I noticed that I was running to books. So for me, as a teacher, representation is not just seeing myself it's also seeing other people and other diverse characters in what I read because I feel like it teaches me and normalizes like um, Jazz said it normalizes 
those communities, it makes a better understanding because I feel when you don't know something, you're afraid of it because it's different, you tend to either run away from it or attack it. So it's the flight or fight. And in this context, then it won't be flight as in running away, but it could be completely ignoring that person just because you don't associate to them or you don't know them or you're not really sure who they are. They're dressed differently. They look differently. So you might completely ignore them, which is just as bad as verbally or physically abusing them. So for me, having those representations for children is really important because it gets them to understand it gets them to familiarize themselves with these people and then then you know we are different but we're the same as well so we don't need to be afraid of each other nice thank you and ashley i think um i mean the books are important as well but it's got to be the whole curriculum like we talk about cultural capital and cultural capital can be a bit of a rubbish education buzzword which means like making a kite at school or going to the beach <laughs> Cultural capital is like Dawa said, understanding the people around you and understanding the world around you. And I think it's really important that all of our children, when they go through school, see themselves in the curriculum. So I know we've worked really hard in the trust. Like we, we've got a lot of BME representation now, but we've also tried to make sure that it's balanced in terms of men and women because the natural, the national curriculum, sorry, is dominated by what one of my old lecturers would have called pale, stale and male. Like you think about forces, you think of Isaac Newton, you think of space, you think of Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, you think of evolution and you think of Charles Darwin, but we've got to make sure that Mary Anning and Margaret Hamilton and Dorothy Vaughan and Catherine mm-hmm. Johnson are all in there. But also we've got to make sure like all those children are people pretty, like Liverpool is, is a deprived city for the most part. And lots of our children won't ever have money. And where do our children, for example, see themselves in a book where a character doesn't have any money and at the end they don't get given a chocolate factory <laughs> because life isn't going to give our children a chocolate factory. So they need to, they need to see themselves just existing in characters in books. Similarly, um, where do children in wheelchairs see themselves? Where do children with, with visual or audio impairments hear themselves? Where do children who are overweight see themselves in a book where they aren't the butt of a joke? Mm-hmm. Where do we make sure? I mean, look, we're never going to hit every mm-hmm. single Bit, but what we've got to do is be proactive in the children that we're getting in front of us that year um, and, and, and at the time and we've got to make sure that they get a diet of cultural capital that includes them being part of culture hmm. well said yeah good points well made thank you so i imagine there'll be a lot of people listening to this conversation will hopefully be thinking about what they can do in their schools on this issue of representation um, and I understand that you all have sort of different roles within the trust but could you each share some advice about some possible actions or that teachers or leaders um, might take if they wanted to do a bit better on this issue perhaps Doa could you reflect as a teacher in the classroom personally I mean I'm, I was I am an NQT really technically this year mm. um, I found that also Andrew and yourself with teachers who can be role models. So for me, as someone who's starting out, then I'd, you know, I love being around jazz. I love being around, I know she's an NQT, but she's well more advanced than I, where I am with, with children's literature. And so as Ashley, um, so I love being around them and talking to them because I feel like I'm just learning so much from them putting myself in the right, in the right place, really to have those conversations and to open my eyes. Then you start doing your own research. You start reading some things and then you tend to, you tend to run away then after that, once those Mm. ideas have been placed. So I would definitely start off by being with the right people who have the right mindset 
Mm. And in terms of literature, the recommendations you can get off those people is amazing. Like, I know we're going to come to that in a minute, but you guys have all suggested some books to me that I'd never read. And it's like you've you've fired up my curiosity and I now want to read some more by some of those authors. So it's kind of infectious, isn't it? If you surround people like surrounded by people that can make those recommendations. They give you those ideas and then you as a teacher, you run away with it then. Yeah. I'll say something that's really, and Jazz will probably build on this much more eloquently than me. But one thing that you've got to make sure, especially at a time like now where people are talking about Black Lives Matter perhaps more than they they were two weeks ago and talking Mm. about how we're going to diversify the curriculum and get all this stuff in. What we've got to make sure is that we don't just stick a week in, like mm. Anatolian week or something like that. If you want to make an actual lasting change, it's got to be part of the curriculum. I'm going to let Jazz take over because she's going to talk. She, she'll be able to, to express that much better than I probably will. I, I completely agree. So it, it need, we need to move away from that sort of tokenistic, like, mm. let's have an Africa week or something. It's like, mm-hmm. first of all, half of the UK seem to think that Africa is a country and so that automatically (laughs) causes issues for people. Um, It needs to be ingrained throughout the curriculum. Mm. I think we need to look at ways as as leaders in education of of threading um, cultural diversity throughout uh, the curriculum. For example, maths. How many children could, do you know that are aware that our number system comes from the Arabic numeral system? How many children do you know who would be aware that actually the light bulb was in part created by a black man called Lewis Howard Latimer? You just mm. don't necessarily know these things because they're not on the national curriculum. I think it needs to be um, dropped in skillfully throughout all of our teaching, which means that teachers... You know, we we need to go away and learn ourselves. We need to go away and think about what you know, because actually what you might have learned in school probably isn't the whole story as well. So I think educators kind of need to take a step back and, and have a think about how we can all improve our practice to make sure that we are including um, a really diverse and rich curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the other thing is that um, a lot of people said to me, that they were really scared and worried about talking about issues around race, particularly white teachers, because they didn't want to say the wrong thing. They didn't want to offend anyone or get anything wrong. And I think the worst possible thing you can do is just shy away from it and decide not to do it at all. Mm. Um, I've been saying to a lot of people this week, actually, like the easiest possible thing you can do is ask somebody who will know. Yeah. Like I used this uh, analogy the other day where I was saying if, if if you wanted to learn something about reading in our trust, you'd go to Ashley because he knows he's the guy who knows about reading. Mm. If you wanted to learn about how you could teach a lesson that included issues with race, speak to somebody who that affects, find out what would be mm. offensive and what wouldn't, how would be the best way to go about it. So I think really the biggest thing at the moment in education is that we need to include or encourage really open conversations. People need to start talking now and stop being afraid of, of, um, getting things wrong because we're actually shying away from a lot of you know quite complex um issues that need to be addressed Mm. and what i really like jazz is you've opened up that conversation for a lot of people that are a bit nervous or scared to to have that conversation and i think it's good that you raise the whole thing about a lot of kind of white teachers being quite nervous about this and perhaps in certain pockets of the country i know where i am in devon it's very easy to have a pretty much universally white background staff um Mm. predominantly your children and do you think if you are based somewhere 
like Liverpool, where you've got perhaps a bit more diversity than other pockets of the country, you're more, this feels more natural to have this conversation. Is that what you're seeing from some of the people that are talking to you? I would say no. But what I'm always wary of is, especially somebody with almost entirely BAME classes, what I can't make a Black Lives Matter lesson or discussion about is I can't, it shouldn't be me telling them what their lived experience is. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of people would get it wrong mm. because I can talk about what being black's like, but I'm not black. Um, so, and I still, I remember having a lesson once, Jazz was my LSA years ago. Um, and I used the word black in a lesson and one of the children physically recoiled at like the, uh, me using it. So it is like a, a whole thing where people just think that we can't use this language or, or open that discussion up because that discussion feels so taboo. But the more we do it, and as Jess says, the more we thread it through the curriculum, the less taboo it becomes and the, the easier it becomes to talk about. But I wouldn't say that in Liverpool, teachers are automatically better equipped to, to deal with it. It might, it might be worse um, in some cases, to be honest. There's been a lot in the media at the moment that would suggest that it actually is. And right. I mean, I'm I wouldn't slag off schools in Liverpool at all. It's, no, it's home city. There's a lot of great things happening here. Mm. I know that there are issues um, within schools around race up here, and you think 2020 these things wouldn't be happening, but they mm. absolutely do. Harry, all you've got to do is Google what's going on in, in Barry at the minute, and and there you go. So, mm. I think the point is like you talked about listening, jazz. It, it, in the world we live in now, it's so much easier to reach out and meet people. Like I've had an awesome conversation with you over Twitter about this and like, I've learned so much just already just having a bit of a chat through through Twitter. And I feel like it's just so much easier now to connect with educators from all sorts of backgrounds all across the country with different experiences and who have, you talked about this expertise that, you know, not every school or trust would necessarily have. So it's, for me, it's a golden age of opportunity to, to reach out and to meet different people and talk to different people. There's almost no excuse, is there really? No. Mm. You're never that uh, far disconnected away from somebody who could help you. Exactly. So yeah. even if you didn't have someone in your backyard, say, that could give you the answers, you can always find somebody who can. And I think it's just, obviously as humans we do the easiest thing possible don't we and, mm -hmm. and often that is to just do nothing mm -hmm. so i think a lot of the issues that we have created for ourselves today are from people who have found things uncomfortable and they just thought oh well i'd rather just leave it at that yeah. um but like you say it's so easy to con communicate now to connect with people to even if it is that you're in devon and you're finding out what somebody in liverpool has to say yeah. you know there's really not an excuse to not do it it's, it's an active choice isn't it absolutely and I really relate to what you were saying about not reaching for the tokenistic because one of the things that I'm kind of committing myself to is a longer period of reflection about this stuff and about the curriculum because it'd be very easy to knee jerk and put a couple of extra figures from history that I feel more diverse into my curriculum but actually I need to really really think about this in more depth and take time over it and look at what other people are doing and why and I had an amazing discussion with my um we're very lucky we've got a beautiful school library with a librarian well it's a job share actually two librarians so I've spoken to them both over the last week about look you know this is something I really want us to do better on but I don't want to just have a corner of the library where it kind of looks like this is <laughs> this is our diversity section like that's not what it's about and they're they've been amazing because neither of them feel that way either and have have like gone away and have read more and you shared a blog um that i sent on to them jazz that they've read and they're like oh, it's amazing really want to think about this more so i think that's what it's about it's about starting a conversation that doesn't need everything sorted overnight it's allowed to evolve over time 
Uh, Ashley, from a more of a leadership point of view within the trust, what do you see as some advice for people? Perhaps um, Jazz has touched on a lot of it there, but would you have any other advice um, about for, for leaders um, in this respect? I think in particular, as, a, as if, you, if you're an English lead, you've, you've got to, and we've worked really hard um, since we locked down on sort of making our reading curriculum prescriptive in that so the teachers are picking the class novels but tuesday through thursday we do other extracts of things and we've prescribed what those texts are now by doing stuff like that we can make sure that when children leave us in year six we haven't left anything to chance we know that they'll have read stuff or even at least encountered stuff like charlotte's web the wind in the willows alice in wonderland but we've also been able to tie through a complete and it feels like we've got it really right and it'll always be a movable feast and we'll always need to keep working on it. It'll be never be finished, but there is real representation pouring through it. Like in this room, obviously, because everybody's been sending me books, just from where I'm sat, I can see Muslim authors, Muslim characters. I can see books about Simone Biles, about the Williams sisters, about Muhammad Ali. I can see books from Indian authors, books from African authors. I can see books where on the front cover, there are different um, skin tones. I can see a book cover where somebody's wearing hijab. I can see um, books about young, gifted, and black people. I can see I can see it all running through the curriculum. And if you, if you just a lot of reading curriculums are left to chance. Like, mm. oh, we'll read the books that we like, and that's fine. And you know, children might make good progress, but you would never leave a maths curriculum to chance and hope that somebody did fractions. Mm. And so you, what, you, what, what, what you've got to do is, is look at your curriculum and think about where are the children learning about different cultures. It can't just be um, that in a geography lesson, we compare Africa to Liverpool for five lessons on a Thursday afternoon <laughs> and suddenly we're the expert on what black people's lived experiences because it isn't. It isn't good enough i would say and we're going to talk about recommendations in a minute but i always say in terms of both changing the culture in a school in terms of reading for pleasure but also changing the culture in a school in terms of how well you do it reading step one in that is the class novel always like across the trust we read that class novel for 15 minutes every day it's the most non-negotiable part of the timetable and if you look at your class novels and don't see anybody that doesn't have white skin or all the all the all the authors are male or all the main characters are male what sto- those stories are the main things the children carry with them i bet everybody here can still think about a book that they were read as a child but how many of those books that all of us are here years later thinking about that we were read as a child how many people with brown skin appeared in them or how many had female main characters? I'd, I'd guess not that many. And so we've got to make that the children's experiences now because the stories, we all know, for example, that the more children read, the better they write. Well, if we only ever feed them stories about little white boys, all they're ever going to write stories about is little white boys. Mm-hmm. So we, we owe it to them to to take the chance away. And I'm not saying we never give teachers choice about what we do, but we've got to as leaders, we've got to make sure it appears in there somewhere. Um, and we've got to make sure that that's an embedded change. It can't just be that once every couple of years, we decide everybody's going to read a novel with a BAME main character, mm. um, make them available all the time. 
so uh, just a small follow-up to that actually you mentioned at the start that um you see it's really important that the children you weren't just talking about ethnicity you're talking about you know their weight their uh, you know all sorts of aspects about them that they see themselves reflected in books how much do you think is or how much room should there be within a teacher's kind of year for them to modify some of the book selections for the particular cohort they've got there definitely needs to be some so for example i know that in Jazz's class, she's got a young man coming up um, with a hearing impairment. Um, and so I know that she's planned to read where the main character wears a hearing aid. And we've planned into our year three curriculum this year or week, um, which all the schools in the trust will access where where that can be seen across novels, um, across those uh, those um, three days. And as I said before, you're never going to hear all. So sometimes you're mm. going to have to take stuff back out to put stuff in. Um, but it's about being proactive as i said not being reactive and, and that's what the danger is at the minute is people are going to be reactive and they're all going to read books about black people for six weeks and then it's going to go back to normal mm. um but we, we, we're all talking about a new normal in terms of covid like let's take this opportunity now while the discussion's open to move to a new normal in terms of a school curriculum where the balance is right and where we we do normalize what society actually is Mm. Um, at the minute that's not the diet of literature and, and curriculum that a lot of children are getting mm. yeah i love that so steve over to you yeah well i think it's perfect time to actually explore um some books uh and i know one thing we asked you to do before this podcast was actually to think of a book or two that you're particularly passionate about uh can you each tell us about the books you've chosen and why you feel they're important in terms of representation um, I suggest, um, or have suggested, uh, Little Bad Man mm. and The Invasion. Which I would have thought you for, by the way. Love that book, absolutely love it. It's, it's hilarious and it talks yeah. about, and I think, I, I love books that tackle certain things through comedy, you know, and we're all laughing about it and it's really lighthearted and that's an easy way as well to start a conversation mm. um, I love that book because I'm Arab so we have a lot of similarities with the Asian culture so I was reading it and I just saw myself in it and I just I laughed I really did laugh and I think reading it to my children um, who we have a, a large percentage of um, Arabs and um, mm. a diverse background and I know they will relate to it so for me a lot of engagement and I think even when people who are not from those cultures they're going to read it and they're going to laugh at it and then they're going to start asking questions it's like and it's you, you know you've spoken about it as well and you'd start looking at the different foods he uh, he enjoys eating and that's another way you can start the conversation I think food is an amazing way to start looking at different cultures and familiarizing yourself mm. um, I've been really passionate lately about picture books and one that I've read or a couple that I've read and I found myself in tears at the end of them one of them was The Youngest Marcher um, and I think we all know about slavery but to understand how young those children were and they were protesting and there was another book that I read as well about um, one of the slaves who was only three years old. And obviously we know those things. She was only three and she already started working in the fields. But I think it hit home because you do know them, but for the idea to be so simplified when you read it through a picture book, 
it mm. does really make it very clear and very easy to understand and you understand the depth of that problem so like i said we all know about slavery but reading it through a picture book just simplifies it and it it does hit home more. Um, another one that I'm really enjoying at the moment is Pride by Ibtihaj Muhammad. She's got a young person's edition and an adult edition as well. And again, uh, it's about a black girl who's or happens to be a Muslim and she, you know, went into the Olympics and she was the first Muslim Olympic who wore a scarf in the Olympics. Uh, and reading those struggles she went through. I wish I was a child and I read that book mm -hmm. because I would have probably had more aspirations for myself rather than wait until my confidence grew and then I was faced with certain things and then I was like, oh yes, I actually can do this. People like me can do whatever they want. And I think if I would have read it a lot younger, it would have changed my life. So I would definitely go for pride as well. Thank you. Can I just say on, on, on Little Bad Man, because I've been enjoying that and, and having a right um, giggle about it, two things that really struck me when I read it. One was how alienating it must sometimes feel for children who aren't from a traditional white background to read so many of the narratives about traditional white children, um, because I was reading it with my daughter and going, she actually like she won't get that reference or that reference or that reference and I only do because of my life experience and so on and I thought wow and then the other thing I was thinking about is particularly where Steve still works where I used to work we're a fairly large Asian proportion of our community and I was just thinking about so many of the kids I wish I knew about this book at the time to be able to offer it to Steve you could probably think of some of the boys in the class we both taught 100% yeah absolutely and I was just thinking I could imagine some of them just in like so enjoying that and and relating to that and um yeah it's beautifully crafted for that reason, isn't it? Should we go to Jazz about books? Yeah, um, my... Uh, well, because I knew that these had chosen chapter books, I thought I'd sort of have a look at picture books because like what um, Doa was saying, I think that sometimes looking at a picture book can be a little bit more moving than um, just reading words, particularly if your imagination is not that great. It's sometimes a bit more of a, of a catalyst to... Um, help children to think a bit more and one of the ones that um, I really like at the moment is Little Leaders by um, Vashti Harrison and where I was saying before as, as a child because I didn't see myself in a lot of books and I didn't see a lot of people who looked like me in um, really good positions as teachers and things like that it's it's a book about what's called Bold Women in Black History and it's a book with um, a, quite a large selection of uh, black women from literally like 16 1700s um up until today people like oprah winfrey and just like the amazing things they've done and there's a lot of people in there that you don't hear about very often um so for me to look at that from a child's point of view it's kind of like well look at all the amazing things these women have done and why shouldn't i be able to do the same so i think that's a really good tool to use um to help children to have aspirations and again from a perspective of children who aren't um, from ethnic minority background, it's a really good sort of uh, tool to show them that they should have respect for all different um, communities and ethnicities because actually they can do just as well as, as anybody else and actually in some places do much better. But it's also good for them to be able to acknowledge that the people in these stories might not have gotten the same acknowledgement as 
their white counterparts. So I think there's a lot to sort of pick apart in that. And there's so many different uh, stories in the book. I just think it's something that you could spend loads and loads of time on. Um, the other one that I was trying to show you, I know a lot of these books are sold out at the they moment. Are, yeah, I get hold of them. Same, same <laughs> thing. I've got it here. This one. Um, it's by Lupita and Younger. She is from Kenya, and the book's called Sulwe, and it, it means um, star in the the tribal language my family have. Um, we're from the same tribe technically, and it's it's a story that really hit hard for me because I find in within black communities um people kind of pick each other apart because they're so used to uh, everybody doing it externally that they now do it to each other and one thing that i find is that people who've got much darker skin um are often you know called names and taking the mickey out of and it's just kind of a usual banter like everyday type of thing um that has become so normalized now which probably dates back to you know a lot of like racism where you would have sort of like your your field slaves and your your indoor ones so somebody mixed race like me might be more palatable to to a white person whereas someone with much darker skin might not and this story really explores that as a as a young girl in the book who um is upset that uh, her family have some lighter skin tones than her and she's worried that she won't be accepted and that she'll never be as pretty and it tells the story beautifully thinking about um the sort of metaphor of night and day and how they both need each other and they're really important separately but they're just different so I think that was really powerful and the, the pictures in it are beautiful um Vashti Harrison also illustrated this book and her her illustrations are gorgeous so I think it's a really good way to to draw kids in and get them thinking about these things that problem doesn't just seem to appear in the black community. It also mm -hmm. exists in the Middle Eastern com community. When I was subjected to it, when I first encountered that darker skinned people were probably not eligible to, to be thought of as beautiful, I was already a grown up. I, and my confidence was already strong. So it didn't bother me. It didn't faze me. But it exists in, the, in, in Asian countries as well. Um, in Taiwan, we were... Uh, people were showing us how, how light skinned they were. And it was, it was supposed to be more of a, a sign of beauty and, and that's the way they look at it. But unfortunately it exists, not just within the black community, everywhere else as well. So when I was reading this book, I'm quite keen now to um, get it translated and get it over to the Middle East because the amount of girls that suffer from things like that. And I think that's why it's important to read those books that might not also it's not you represented in them but they show different problems that different people face and they see themselves facing that same problem and that could that brings um you know you sort of relate to that person even more so like I, going back to my first point is you're less scared of them that you know they, they, mm. they're normalized they are just like you and you might face the same problems as they do so mm. and it's actually really interesting you say that because um like Russell said, we've got quite a large Asian community where my school is and we've actually had that issue um, with some year three girls who play beautifully together and are brilliant friends. But actually there was this dilemma for parents between um, how light they were in comparison and it has to be tackled head on and books like this do expose that. Yeah, mm. yeah thank you. And coming to Ashley about your books, please. Right, so I've got a couple because I kind of knew the angle that Dora and Jazz would take, so... Mm. The, the two I mainly want to talk about are 
Phoenix and Varjak Poor by S.F. Saeed. Now, S.F. Saeed is a, is a Muslim author, um, and we've had him in school. I've had him in both, in all the schools I've worked in, actually. But I think S.F. Saeed, at St. Silas, the majority of the children are Muslim faith. Um, and I feel like these books by S.F. Saeed are important for them because um, they are books by a Muslim author, but they're not necessarily about being a Muslim. They are just books that are written by a Muslim author who's been huh. published because he writes good stories. Mm. Um, and I think it's important to see that we can be more than just having to tell people about our li- our experiences all the time. Mm. Um, so I, I really like those books for that reason. They're also just really, really good. Um, Phoenix is a great year six novel. It's really long though. If you're going to read it to year six, you're going to have to <laughs> um Vajat brilliant for year three or year four the other ones that are like um two books so there's a book called inside out and back again by tanya lai um and other words for home by jasmine waga and they are both first novels and both of them um i can talk about inside out and back again a bit more eloquently than other words for home they're, they're around about about the same thing but in inside out and back again um it's um set in vietnam and the girl is the it's the midst of the war, and the girl um, she has to flee her home, so they stow away on a boat, um, and they go to America, and a lot of it then is about her going into school and not knowing any of the culture, not knowing any of the language, and there's a really there's a really poignant chapter where her teacher is like pointing to the to numbers on the board on the wall and making her say them in English like one by one. And in her head, she's she's absolutely furious at this teacher because in her own language, she knows how to like simplify fractions and she knows how to, she, she talks about how she knows how to purify water and she knows how to do all these things. She just doesn't know how to speak English and she gets very, very frustrated with the teacher. And then there's, there's like a, a mix of internal monologue and like outward monologue going on at the same time. And it's all through verse. It's very, very clever. Um, and I think... F- a lot of our children, a lot of the children that I teach anyway, that's their lived experience as well. Um, and it's really nice for them to see that. Um, even if it's not the nicest storyline, it's good for them to know that it is a, it's a thing that other people have been through. Um, so I really like those. Thank you for suggesting Phoenix because I've now got my reading sorted for about the next six months because it, it is a huge book, but it is a great story. It really is. Um, fantastic. Well, I mean, look, it's been really, really interesting talking mm. to you all about this stuff. And I've got now an extended book list of, of some more things that I want to go away and, and, and read. So if you're interested in learning more about this issue, we really recommend well, follow Jazz, Doe and Ashley on Twitter because they all talk about this a fair bit. Um, we'll copy them into some of the posts when we um, share this podcast so that you you know where they're at. But thank you all so much for your time tonight and, um, you know, really appreciate the kind of the conversation you've started and Jazz in particular with the resources you've shared recently. You just feel like you've set off like a little beautiful chain reaction um, across... across by accident. <laughs> <laughs> something I've been moaning about forever. But it's resonating. And, uh, you know, yeah. what we'd really call people to do, I know it's been said already, but just to leave on this note, is just don't respond tokenistically to such an important issue. Really reflect and, and take time to think about this because it's, it's so important. Thank you. Mm. Thank you so much. Brilliant conversation. Thanks for having us. Don't keep the deputy.